the Colorful Plates podcast for Monday, September 3rd, 2018 on this very special Labor Day week. Uh, I am Stephen Medina, your host, here to remind you that this podcast was designed and created to keep you up to date, informed and inspired about what's going on in the fresh world of produce uh, so that you and those in food service can be best prepared for serving their customers. In today's episode, we're gonna take a look at some market conditions and what's going on there and how that might impact you. We're gonna talk to Brian Denton about what's going on uh, and what made the cut this week. And we're gonna wrap up with some produce pro tips. So stick around, we're gonna be giving you the good stuff. And up first is our segment in the field and my therapist suggested I be a little more positive. So we'll take a look at the great, the pretty good and the I'm sure they have a good personality of the produce world. My producers let me know that the dead horse called and he said, please, for the love of God, stop kicking me. But uh, we'll have to say it one more time. Weather is playing a huge role in what's going on in the produce industry right now. The month of August is behind us, but the heat of summer is still rearing its ugly head. It's typical for products like broccoli and cauliflower to see a small gap in production around this time of year. What happens is the heat in the Salinas Valley pushes production forward faster than growers would like. So there's a period where supply is plentiful, followed by a limited amount of product coming out of the fields as suppliers play catch up with planting and harvesting. This is pretty common from the moment they arrive in Salinas till they leave to head to Yuma later in the year. We're also getting reports that the pineapple market has tightened up substantially. Week of orders are difficult to cover as fruit is being picked up and sold out as soon as vessels arrive. We're also hearing about some quality problems upon arrival. The two most common issues are that product is either underripe with white interiors or in some cases is actually overripe. One of the nice benefits of an import fruit like pineapples is there's a lot of good growing regions around the world. And so buyers are able to switch between places like Honduras, Guatemala and Costa Rica based on the quality that arrives into the port to make sure they're getting the best fruit available. Asparagus is also having some supply issues. An early into central Mexico's harvest has tightened up supplies on all sizes of asparagus. Pricing is higher than normal, but quality overall is good, with pencil and standard sizing being the best value. We talked about it last week, but we want to let you know the situation with oranges is still pretty rough. Uh, the Valencia orange season is ending, and suppliers will be finishing up in the next four weeks or so. This is definitely putting a serious strain on an already depleted supply situation. Quality on the current crop is fair at best, with some soft rot, decay, and mold upon arrivals. There is better availability on larger fruit like the 56, 72, and 88 count, but we are hearing reports of extremely limited supplies of 113s and 138 counts. The navel orange season should help bring relief, but that's not slotted until mid-October, so there's definitely going to be a supply crunch over the next few weeks. All right, now on to the good stuff. We've reported in the last couple weeks things like stone fruit, grapes, apples, and pears all being in peak season and having good availability and great flavor and quality. Uh, all that still remains to be true. Stone fruit coming out of California and Georgia are still producing great peaches, nectarines, and plums. Uh, grape quality is excellent with good texture and sweetness on red and green grapes. We're hearing good things about apples. The new crops that we talked about last week coming out of Washington, Michigan, New York, um, all are looking great. And pears right along with it. Uh, New crop of Bartlett's, Bosque, and red pears are all being harvested out of California and Washington. Quality is excellent and firm fruit with a good sweetness level on that. So keep your eye out for stone fruit, grapes, apples, and pears. We're also hearing great reports on chili peppers coming out of Baja, California right now. They're harvesting good chilies, including jalapenos, basillas, Anaheim's and Serrano's. Let's take a quick look at what's happening on the east and west coasts. There hasn't been a lot of change in the east since last week. Zucchini and cucumbers are a little light on supply, some of which is due to the rain slowing harvest and the holiday weekend. Bell peppers are pretty steady, but might be a little light on supply just due to the rains that has slowed down harvest. Supply is looking to increase over the next couple weeks as one of the largest growers in Michigan has started some new blocks and others will be following suit next week as well. East Coast eggplant is a little light on supply right now, and that's mainly due to poor quality coming out of New Jersey and Virginia, which are two of the largest growing areas in the summer months. 
Michigan, which is another large growing area for eggplant on the East Coast, didn't plant as much acreage this year. The good news is that demand on eggplant around this time isn't super high, and so the market has stayed pretty steady. Some light volumes of cucumber and squash have started in the southeast. North and South Carolina and Georgia have all started. Uh, it's staying mostly local, but it's a sign that transition is coming soon. Volume on those two items, cucumbers and squash, will increase by mid-September, and later in the month we'll see more eggplant, bell peppers, and sweet corn starting. Our reports feel like the Midwest and Northeast will finish up early this year with all the weather issues they've been having, but they don't expect any gaps either. Over on the West Coast, we're still seeing a strong demand of squash and cucumber. We are seeing an uptick on the production of cucumbers, and pricing should begin to adjust down after the holiday. And some good news for West Coast squash. Uh, production coming out of Santa Maria, California has increased as growers are harvesting new fields. The market is pretty steady, and squash supplies are expected to be available in Santa Maria through September and well into October. West Coast bell pepper production is pretty steady in green bell peppers. The color bell pepper supplies are a little more inconsistent. Green bell peppers right now are priced pretty competitively, but pricing is higher on red and yellow bell peppers. The pricing on eggplant coming out of the West Coast is a little high just due to the light supplies. In watermelons, we're seeing pricing kind of fluctuate just due to the holiday and different promotions going on right now, uh, which is just driving prices up. And that's a quick look at what's happening in the field. On to our next segment, Making the Cut. This segment is focused on the culinary aspects of fruits and vegetables. And it wouldn't be a Colorful Plates podcast episode if we did not feature the one and only, the incomparable, mostly insufferable, Brian Denton. So, Brian, tell me, what has made the cut this week? Stephen, almost all grade schools in North America are back in session. So, I thought this would be a good week to start a discussion on fresh produce at K-12 schools and how this may affect the food service establishments that you're working with. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, there are an estimated 60 million people living in the United States in the 5 to 19 age range, with a majority of these children in K-12 public, private, or charter schools that are part of the National School Lunch Program. So the NSLA, the National School Lunch Act, was signed into law by President Truman in 1946 to provide nutritionally balanced, low-cost, or free lunches to school children each school day. Some school districts also offer a free or low-cost breakfast program as well. With the financial backing of the USDA, these programs drive K-12 fresh produce consumption during the school year. But it's a very specific type of consumption. Because of the need to stretch limited state and federal dollars, the types of fresh produce offered in schools are unfortunately at the lower end of the cost and often quality or even taste spectrum. So that iconic imagery of a red delicious apple on a teacher's desk isn't from a bygone era. It's often the chosen piece of whole fruit offered to children in North American schools, along with oranges, uh, the occasional banana, grapes, um, etc. While studies show that the more fresh produce is offered, the more that kids will eat it, it often comes down to quality and that can be in short supply. Organizations like United Fresh, the Produce Marketing Association, the Western Growers Association, and many suppliers have worked to put salad bars in schools, and the USDA has offered grants to increase creative serving of produce and local farm purchasing. The funds are limited and prep time is a challenge, so therefore, the kinds of produce and how they're served are also very limited. In the weeks ahead, we're going to feature some interviews with people who are doing great things in school districts from coast to coast and discuss how the school year causes a strain on certain types of produce that can be felt by food service establishments across all sectors. So making the cut this week is fresh produce in local schools. Thanks, Brian. That was great. Not to mention, I'm pretty sure you're the president of the Dictionary.com Word of the Day fan club. And for our last segment, Produce Pro Tips, where produce industry pros have some quick tips and tricks around the kitchen. This week, we have Sean Azalio, who's a sourcing specialist at ProAct, in the studio with us to talk us a little bit about strawberries, handling, receiving, how to know you've got a good berry, and what to look out for. 
Sean, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, to start us off, tell me a little bit about what it takes to make a great strawberry. You bet. So first thing I could start with really is weather. As you know, strawberries come from the ground. They're grown outside. So weather has a huge impact on the end result of a strawberry. And that weather can fluctuate a little bit, but if it ever gets too hot, too cold, too wet, it's going to have a drastic impact on the longevity, the shelf life, the flavor, and the appearance of the berry. Ideally, taking into consideration the growing regions of strawberries, which is primarily Salinas, Watsonville, Santa Maria, Oxnard, and, and then Central Mexico, and of course, Florida on the East Coast. But but really, those areas are, are focused on growing strawberries because of the weather in particular. A strawberry likes cool nights and warm days, but not excessive heat. Once it starts getting into high 70s, 80s, or higher on really sunny days, what will end up happening is you'll start seeing overripe fruit. Uh, the fruit could easily get sunburnt, which is a, a darker appearance on the berry. And as the fruit ripens in the field, when you go to pick it, it becomes very delicate. Uh, so the slightest pressure from, from a thumb, all strawberries are hand-picked. So uh, simply just applying too much pressure with your thumb can result in bruising later on down the road. And unfortunately, not all of that is necessarily seen at the field level. Of course, when you're packing a strawberry, you're going to look for the best, firmest, biggest, um, most color fruit. However, again, some of these residual problems can show up two, three days post-harvest. And unfortunately, the end user ultimately is the one who ends up seeing the, the residual damage. So to go back to your question on, on what it takes to get a perfect berry, um, it's a combination of good growing weather, proper packing techniques, maintaining proper cold chain, and then, and then ultimately the end user handling that berry. Yeah, let's jump to that last piece. That's great. Um, very informative about how much it takes to to keep commodities fresh. Uh, one of the things that you mentioned um, was how, how much heat plays a, a huge role in this or weather plays a huge role in this. And we talk about that a lot on the podcast, Jen, because it just has so much in, of an impact on on how things are grown or can be grown. And we were talking about uh, how how sometimes heat will speed up the the process. Does that happen with berries as well? That when it's it's warmer than you know ideal temperatures, that it actually will push production forward and then potentially shorten seasons. Absolutely, yeah, and that's that's actually really relevant to what we're seeing right now. Uh, this summer in the Salinas and Watsonville growing regions, we experienced uh, warmer than normal temps with consecutive weeks of long days and temps in the mid 80s to low 90s two things happen in that event one as you mentioned fruit becomes ripe much quicker with the warmer nights and the warm days that fruit is ripening in the field and it's becoming ready to pick a lot further ahead of schedule than anticipated the second thing that happens is whenever that hot weather has a residual impact on the, on the berry you will you'll end up running across quality issues as fruit becomes ripe in the field and it's ready to pick, you have to understand that the crews that are working and picking this fruit, there's only so many hours in a day and there's only so much labor available at the grower shipper's expense. At any given day, your max production can be, you know, whatever that, that number may be for, for the size of the grower. But there comes a point where the fruit is ripening faster than the crews can pick it. So what ends up happening is you end up getting behind and the crops end up coming on 
an advance. So as I mentioned earlier, that's exactly where we're at right now. All this fruit came on really fast and the labor was only enough to harvest a certain amount. Ultimately, what ends up happening is the fruit goes bad in the field. It becomes overripe. And as I had stated, you know, the quality starts to diminish. It starts getting darker color, um, really soft, easy bruising, easy to decay, high sugar levels. All of that plays a, a role in the in the the quality of the berry when it gets to the end user. What ends up happening is these these shippers, the grower shippers, get to a critical point to where they can no longer harvest the berry because it's either too soft in the field or it's suffering from residual heat damage. So ultimately, what ends up happening is they walk past those acres. So now you have multiple, you know, thousands of acres that were planted with the expectation of harvesting late summer, early fall. With the summer we had this year in Salinas-Watsonville area, all of that fruit came on really hot and heavy early on in the season. So we had a flush of product hit the markets, market prices drop, quality is marginal. And then at the tail end of the season, which we are right now, we're at a shortage of fruit. All of that fruit came on fast. We had to walk past acres at the tail end of the season because of quality. And the new fruit that we're waiting for, which is fall crop, isn't ready yet. So we're seeing this short-term gap in supply. Yeah, that's uh, that seems to be a common uh, issue when, when, when heat's involved and, and pushes production forward that way. Now, I know that other regions are coming online and, and then we do uh, see some relief in the near future, which is which is great. But let's talk about for a second what um, the fruit that ends up on a, on a dock or in the back of a kitchen for, for a chef um, or a culinary team. Um, what should they be looking for to know that they have a really great strawberry? I know you mentioned some of them, but what should they be looking for to make sure they have a great strawberry? Sure. Well, you know, the first thing that comes into into play is size, okay? And again, it's all weather related. In a situation like we have been with the warm weather, you'll see that berries are big in size. A typical eight by one pound clamshell pack, you would want to, I would say, a good food service berry, if we're talking in particular for chefs and kitchens, I, I think would be right around a... Uh, 20 to 22 count, depending on the application, but uh, that would be industry standard. Now, in a situation where the weather has been as warm as it has, that count can drop down to as few as 16, you know, 16 to 18 in, in a clamshell. That size of berry in particular may not necessarily lend itself well to a food service application. So size obviously is important. Next would be the appearance of the berry. You don't want fruit that's going to be too dark because, again, the darker the berry, the longer it's been in the sun, the higher the sugar content, the softer it is, and the more susceptible it is to mechanical damage, bruising, decay, and flavor for that matter. It's, uh, you know, if it becomes too high in bricks and sugar, it just doesn't have that same crisp flavor. So, you know, the color of the berry, the firmness of the berry, a nice sheen on the berry, a nice shine, not too many seeds. You know, you don't want white shoulders. That's going to indicate that it's immature. You don't want an overly hard berry because it doesn't uh, have enough flavor. So, you know, appearance, unfortunately, unless you actually bite into a berry, it's pretty difficult to tell how, how great it tastes. But certainly looking at all the things I just spoke about will give you a good indication on if you have a berry picked at its prime and what kind of flavor profile you're going to to uh, to get out of it. You know, in terms of that box arrives in your in your kitchen and you're looking at it, size, color, firmness, sheen, 
the shoulder of the berry will we'll give you good indication on, on if it's going to be uh, applicable. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time. It's really informative to know how strawberries get from field to fork and, and what we should be looking for when it comes to a great berry ending up on the on the docks of our kitchens and uh, and our tables. You bet. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks so much, Sean. It's great to hear some insights on how to pick and find the best strawberries. And I would be remiss if I didn't take a moment to mention that a lot of the information we talked about is available on Colorful Plates website, colorfulplates.co. Make sure to check that out because there's a lot of great information around tips and tricks, inspiration, education, and how-to guides. Anything you'd like to know about fruits and vegetables for the culinary professional in mind, you're going to find all of that on colorfulplates.co. Check it out. All right, that's going to do it for the Colorful Plates podcast this week. Make sure if you haven't, hit that subscribe button so you can just stay up to date on what's going on in the produce industry and how that impacts you. And we love hearing from you, so make sure to drop us a line at podcast at colorfulplates.co. Let us know if you have any feedback, thoughts, comments, or anything else you'd like to hear on future episodes. We want to again thank everyone who made this podcast possible. Our producer, Mackenzie Lovelace, our engineer, Chloe Pika, our executive producer, Jeff Oberman, and of course, mixing and editing by myself and Brian Denton. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember, every Monday we drop a new episode letting you know what's going on in the world of produce. This has been the Colorful Plates Podcast. I am your host, Stephen Medina, signing off and saying, stay fresh. <laughs>